And who's thankful for the worship team and the privilege of worshiping Jesus? Yeah. Hey there, Waipuna Chapel. Good evening. My name is Joshua. It's a privilege to be the Life Group's discipleship pastor here at Waipuna. Uh, we're coming up on six years in a few months that my bride and I have been here, and I'm so thankful that our family of five has been learning about Jesus as part of the church here at Waipuna Chapel. But you know, we have serious doubts at times, our family. There are times when each one of us practically doubt and get a little bit derailed at times. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. Is that ever you? But I'm thankful for this series and that we get to think through serious doubts when we don't understand. Doubts that don't have to derail us but can help deepen our faith. Last week we learned as we studied the life of Thomas, famous doubting Thomas, a disciple of Jesus who helped teach us that God is not distant in your doubts and your doubts and questions don't disqualify your faith. If you missed it, it's on wipunachapel.com, but there's some powerful palms of Thomas when we look at what Jesus did, or Jesus' powerful palms as well. And this series, Doubting God, it's from Life Church, is where a lot of these resources, many of my thoughts tonight are going to come straight from this message from Pastor Craig Rochelle and his teaching team. The link is there in the sources. But the big idea is that doubt isn't an enemy of the faith. Doubt is often an invitation to a deeper, growing faith. So culturally today, many are deciding to be Christians. Many are deciding to be Christians. It's a good thing, right? All right, not just culturally, but in our culture, in our world, many people are deciding to be Christians. Praise God. We've had conversions at Waipuna Chapel, professions of faith recently, and we've celebrated baptisms, and we're getting ready for a baptism on the first Sunday in May in two weeks. And I'm thankful that here at Waipuna Chapel and around our island and around the world, many are deciding to be Christians. That's good news, right? But at the same time, some Christians are deciding not to be Christians. I'm not trying to get too technical here theologically, like can you lose eternal life if it was really eternal life? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is while some are converting, others are deconverting. We all know people who grew up in church and served the church. Rather than pursuing a growing relationship with Jesus, they've stopped following Jesus. Even Pastor Craig Rochelle, I think he had six ki- has six kids. They homeschooled those kids and uh, raised them in community and did their best they could raising them. And some are not following Jesus now. And he shares about that in the message. But we all know people that somewhere along their way, their questions, their hurts, their spiritual doubts caused them to walk away from the faith. And unfortunately, sometimes our default response as Christians is to shame and blame those who are leaving. You know, maybe they were never really Christians to begin with. Maybe they never truly loved Jesus. You know, I think I've, I've thought that at times in my life. But that response is not helpful, it's hurtful. And we need to consider how as the church and as Christians, if we are partly responsible. If as Christians, maybe we might be getting some things wrong and consider how we might do better here at Waipuna Chapel. It has to begin by being willing to have an honest discussion about doubt. And our passage tonight is Matthew 14, verses 22 through 32. In a moment, we'll stand and read. But in this passage, Jesus has been doing life with his disciples, walking, talking, playing, and praying with them. He's been rejected in his hometown. 
and followed into desolate places by crowds of people. There's a lot going on in in the life of this popular Jewish carpenter. After feeding 5,000 people in the story before in Matthew 14, we see he's going to make his disciples have an experience that's going to make them lose their religion in some significant ways. Replacing their old and worn out ideas about God's activity in the world. Jesus is going to fulfill their deepest longings to know and experience their creator. He makes them get into a boat and go through something difficult to experience him in a whole new way. And this is the boat. Not really. You can, we don't know what the boat exactly looked like. Okay. But in the English Standard Version of the Bible, they have this picture of a popular Galilean fishing boat that may have looked something like this. But as you turn to Matthew 14, verse 22, would you stand with me and let's read this out loud together. One, two, three. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Will you pray with me, and then you can be seated. Let me pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the way you meet each one of us right where we are, Lord. Right where we are, as Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God, you pursue a relationship, a love relationship with each one of us that's real and personal. So I thank you that you see into each heart, Lord. You don't just see the crowd here, Lord. You see each one of us. And I pray that you would give each of us a word to hear your heart as Ty prayed. I pray after this time our souls will really sing that we will experience your truth in a fresh way and not leave the same. We pray that you'd receive all the glory. We pray your Holy Spirit will teach us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you can be seated. Um, This is the story of Peter tonight. Peter had doubts. Peter, a long way from land, you catch that? Beaten by the waves against the wind. Not a fun place to be at any time of the day, but this is about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. This time of the late night, early morning, and he's terrified with the other disciples. I probably would be too if I was in that situation. Peter, 
throughout Scripture messes up in very significant ways. All through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he's an overachiever. So even in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he messes up in a really big way. He's racist. Even after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was recorded, Peter struggled with racism. Um, giving the Jewish Christians special treatment and ignoring the newly converted Gentiles when he was around his religious buddies. All right, that was Peter. All right, he feared people, he was impulsive, and he doubted. So I just love Peter <laughs> because like Pastor Sean said last week, sometimes when we see other people's struggles, it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. right? <laughs> like, oh, they struggle with that too. <laughs> that was a takeaway for one of our life group leaders, but it meant a lot to me too. All right, but Peter feared people, okay, and, and he had a lot of doubts. Has anybody here had spiritual doubts? Raise your hands if, you, if that's true for you. You know, thank you for your honesty, all right? It's cool. Some of you are so solid. I need to hang out with you more. But with this message on doubting God, and I'm thankful that uh, Pastor Sean tasked me with this topic as it's stretched me to study this and learn from this, and I have a lot of firsthand experience with not only close friends, but family members who have walked away from Jesus with great upbringings, all right? Public school, homeschooled, uh, church background, whatever, like or conservative church or like charismatic church, all kinds of different friends that I could tell you about that have walked away from, from Jesus in some big ways, all right? So I'm thankful for this Doubting God series because it's ministering to my heart as well through preparing this. But there's two groups of people that we'll kind of focus in on tonight. So group one, those of you who currently have some doubts about your faith. All right, again, Waipuna Chapel, every weekend we want you to bring family members and friends that have doubts, that are on a journey with Jesus, that would be first-time guests, or maybe you've been around a long time and I've rubbed you the wrong way and now you really have some doubts about Jesus. <laughs> who knows? You know, but uh, if you have doubts about your faith, um, Think about this. Maybe, and maybe you're interested in a starting point environment. Okay, that's just a shameless plug. May 17th, we're going to have starting point, which is specifically conversations for doubts about your faith. I see some of you here tonight if you're in that have been in starting point. We love you guys. Glad you're here. But here's the reminder. If you currently have doubts about your faith, your doubts don't disqualify your faith. Just because you're doubting now, it doesn't mean you're not a believer. You know, real faith is not the absence of doubt. Amen? All right? Real faith pushes through the doubts to an even deeper faith. All right? Doubts are part of it, part of growth. And then group two, those of you that are helping others navigate through their faith doubts. Maybe you just have people close to you that you love, you know, a, a child, a friend, a neighbor who seems awesome, but they don't really trust what, or believe what you believe about Jesus. And that's great as well. So there's these two different groups of people. And if you're helping others navigate their faith doubts, instead of being the type of people that look down at others and go, oh, they must not have really been a Christian or they must have sin in their life. Instead of having that kind of stupid, negative, judgmental attitude, you know, we need to show the love and the grace of God, all right, to help those who may be struggling. You know, that, that's, that's somebody's family. You know, that's someone. How would you treat a close family member? And maybe that's a bad example. Maybe you treat a family member really bad. No, but maybe the better question, how does God treat us? You know, we need to let love 
as we talked about a few weeks ago, as, as we show God's love, we need to let love be illustrated, demonstrated, authenticated, illuminated, all those things, all right, by the way that we live as we know and experience Jesus. I pray that we would show God's love with our lives. You know, discipleship, helping others navigate, journeying with people in a growing relationship with Jesus. I love Waipuna's mission statement, loving God, loving others, and serving the world. You know, and I pray we're those type of people. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. Doubt is often an invitation to a deeper faith. Look at this question from in here. Why have you doubted? Why have you doubted? I've shared with many of you, and I've shared with my life group um, this past week, again, that growing up, I felt like sometimes there was more love from people outside the church than inside the church. You know, I had some very serious doubts. I would ask God, if you're real, how come your people are so fake? You know, and not everybody, and that was really my problem with my perspective. But for big seasons of my life, I made the mistake of looking too much at other people. My eyes were in the wrong place. You know, Pastor Sean did a great uh, huddle tonight, 25 minutes before service. Everybody who serves gets to huddle up and pray together. It's a really fun time. If you don't serve, you're kind of missing out because there's just fun and fellowship. And he talked about where our focus is. And this farmer who cut the grass in a field and was told as he was learning to do it to focus on a point that's far away. And he navigated back and forth all day and he got to the end and the field was just crazy out of focus. And he realized the point that he was navigating was a cow, not a building or an inanimate object. It was a moving target. And unfortunately, when we keep our eyes on people, on those moving targets, we get off track. I know I did. But why do we doubt? You know, there's tons of reasons. Maybe questions we can't answer. Maybe there's apparent contradictions that are in the Bible. You know, some people say science disproves God or disproves the Bible. You know, what about a friend who's really sincere in their religion? You know, maybe you have a friend that's a devout Buddhist. And is Jesus really the only way? And maybe you can't reconcile how a loving God allows pain and suffering. How's there a war in Ukraine? How's there human trafficking? How is there starvation? How is there the Holocaust? How is there death? How is there poverty? Now, welcome to Waipuna Chapel. We'll just get into it here. But those are some tough questions, you know, and they can cause doubts. Maybe you prayed and a, a loved one still died of cancer. Maybe you prayed and your parents still got divorced. Maybe a Christian leader that you loved and respected let you down. Maybe your dad loved Jesus, but he was unfaithful. Maybe there's hypocrisy. You know, what I read in Scripture, I don't see in the church. And Jesus asks Peter, why do you doubt? It's an interesting question in this passage in Matthew 14. You know, we read that question, and I don't know, on my first reading, I might have read it as an accusation. Remember the, don't tell me what to do. Like, who are you like, to tell me that? But we read that question, we may think of that as an accusation. You of little faith, look in there, Matthew 14, verse 31. Why did you doubt? Jesus asks Peter. And I think we often read that question the wrong way. If we consider the character and the nature of Jesus. You know, Jesus, who's always loving, always full of grace, always compassionate, always understanding, that wasn't an insult that I'd like to suggest. You know, that's, that's loving truth. 
You know, look at verse 31, the actions that were accompanied by the words. I love that the Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all of his works. You know, because talk is cheap, but it's great to get compliments at times, right? Somebody said, I can go a good... Uh, I can go a good week off a good compliment. <laughs> Somebody said, like, but talk matters, but it's cheap. You look at what Jesus did, though, here. It, verse 31, immediately he reached out his hand and took hold of Peter, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, he reached out his hand. It's there. What if this question isn't an accusation, but an invitation? You know, why do you doubt? What if the question was not to condemn him, but to encourage him? Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He said, Peter, I'm here for you. Do you have a friend like that who's done that for you? You know, just not even maybe spiritually. Maybe they've just helped you, like, fix your car <laughs> beyond what you could do. Do you have a friend that's been there, that's helped you, that when, when you start to doubt, they're there? That's how Jesus is. Whenever you start to doubt or someone you love starts to doubt, it's not a time to panic. It's a time to process. It's a time to dialogue and lean harder into Jesus like Peter did. You know, and often when we don't handle doubt well, when we meet it with accusation, you know, or fear, we push people away unintentionally. You know, what would it look like if we were quicker to listen and slower to speak? I like to be positive and look on the bright side. You know, but there's times that's a character flaw, if I'm honest. You know, when I'm not listening to my child when he's hurt and he's got a huge bleeding bruise on his face. And I say, hey, Jesus loves you. <laughs> you fix your face. <laughs> Cheer up. All right, and he's like bleeding. That's a character flaw, right? I'm not listening and I'm not looking deeper into what's really going on in his life and his heart. You know, instead I need to listen and learn how I can help. Or how I can get that child the help that he needs. Or I say, Mom. <laughs> no, something like that. Not, not really. I got to actually help. It depends, though. <laughs> it's just good stuff. Just think about that for a little bit. All right, how can we help others in their doubt? All right, how we respond to people when they're doubting, when doubt happens to them, is important. Because doubt isn't something that we choose to pursue necessarily. You know, there's thoughts that will just barrage our brains and it, we can spin out just with our conscience when we start to think certain things and are introduced to certain things and doubts can kind of happen to us at times. And when we look at it from that perspective, I love this third life group question on the back of your handout. You know, hopefully you have a handout inside your bulletin. And when you think about your conversations with others, is your goal usually to be right or to be loving? What's your goal there? And how do you feel about your response? What might happen if you focused even more on being loving? And talk with somebody about that today, this weekend. And yes, I heard an amen from my bride about being quicker to listen. Thank you. I'm working on it. But some fresh bread for me this week was the scripture about how we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You know, my goal in communication is not to be right and conquer other people with my intellect or my humor or my phenomenal storytelling. All right? That's not my goal, to conquer people. You know, I'm more than a conqueror already, and I need to be loving. Amen? 
You know, no one is perfect, including me, including you. Love is a gift. It's a fruit of knowing God. So how can we do better in our conversations with others, especially around doubt? And I love that Peter is the disciple that got out of the boat. You know, we give him a hard time. The disciples give him a hard time. But at least he's doing this, and he's an example for us to learn from. And nobody's perfect. So how can we do better in our conversations with others? You know, the staff talks a lot about 1% improvements that we can make. I remember Aaron Cordero about, four, it was in April years ago, he came and spoke here about start small, start now in our actions of following God. How can we start small and start now in our conversations with others? This is so practical. And we are going to look at this topic as we look at doubt that's very important of spiritual deconstruction. So when we think about deconstruction, this might be what we think of. All right. I'm thankful. My friend Jose recently let me borrow a jackhammer, and that's our middle son. And we deconstructed about six blocks of concrete close to our house um, because the foundation, these six blocks of concrete, were old and worn out and causing the foundation to get water inside of the house. All right. So we deconstructed that concrete, and our middle son helped do that as well. It's great to have kids to delegate those kinds of tasks to. But here's the thing. We could have been severely injured with the jackhammer, especially when our middle eight-year-old son was running it. But we put on some sunglasses, wore jeans and shoes, and we safely removed about six pieces. And now the water's going where it's supposed to go. But spiritual deconstruction. You know, this is common in our culture today. It's mostly negative when we think of spiritual deconstruction. There's leaders that have just gone through deconstruction and confused people and not really reconstructed. And there's lots of different approaches. There's no single definition. Done poorly, deconstruction hurts people. That jackhammer could have hurt some people, right? But done well, deconstruction can actually help people. So spiritual deconstruction, this definition's up on the screen. And I believe there's a way to do spiritual deconstruction without hurting ourselves and hurting others as well. So spiritual deconstruction done well is a sincere examination of your beliefs, seeking to let go of what is untrue so you can hold on to what is true. You know, one of our groups prays at the beginning of every group, we'll let go of our old and worn out ideas, you know, so we can embrace the one love of Jesus that's so much better than our best thoughts about God. You know, that our ideas need to be deconstructed. Some of them, all right? Deconstruction done well can be a form of discipleship. Jesus actually did this on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's deconstruction. You've heard this said. You've got these ideas in your minds and it's no longer serving you to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know, get that block out of your yard, that concrete block that's messing you up. Get that brick out of your house of treat others the way they treat you, and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, Jesus deconstructs there old and worn out ideas. 
I appreciate a certain Waipuna Chapel leader here who will remain anonymous, and it's not my bride. But this person said, be careful not to deconstruct into oblivion, right? We don't need to just get like the flamethrower and gas, jackhammers, have everybody come have a really fun life group on, I don't know, the, the new shed that Mrs. Karen and the preschool team have, have. You know, we don't want to take that out of there right? And deconstruct to oblivion. This is good advice. In the same way with our spiritual beliefs, we need to be careful to not put holes in the boat that we're in as well. And we need to pray in and pray out and ask God to help us deconstruct our old and worn out ideas. But Jesus said, you have heard it was this, but I tell you. Five times in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And essentially what he's saying is you thought this was true, but I'm here to tell you that's not what is true. Here is what is actually true. And you look at this relationship between Jesus and Peter. You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and be raised to life on the third day. Do you remember Peter's response? Really bold. He says, no, never. You will not do that, Jesus. I won't let you do that. All right, you're the conquering king, not the dying Messiah. And Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 23, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And he deconstructed his old and worn out ideas. It's easy to get caught up in what we know how to do and how it works in the world and try to do that same thing with our lives. But we need to have the concerns of God to do God's tasks God's way in God's timing as experiencing God teaches us. I'm so thankful to be going through that book with a friend who was recently baptized here and another young man and I'm excited about that book being used more and more. It's listed in your sources and it talks about doing God's will, God's way, not with fleshly methods, not with our worldly ways in his timing, the way he wants us to. And Jesus was deconstructing Peter's wrong beliefs. He's saying, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter, Jesus says, you thought I was going to be a conquering king, but I came to be a suffering servant. Peter, you thought I would achieve victory through conquest, but I will achieve victory through sacrifice. Let go of what isn't true, Peter. Hold on to what is true. Is discipleship part of your spiritual deconstruction. All of us have old and worn out ideas. And this is dangerous ground to tread on, yet it's important ground to think about. What are we holding on to that maybe we need to let go of? The question is, how do you build your belief system? So as Christians, we would say the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. I love God's word. I love what he's given to us in the Bible. And the truth is, we build our belief system based on our, how our church teaches the Bible. You know, growing up, I've been a part of a lot of different churches. And how our family and faith community interprets the Bible affects what we believe about certain verses and passages in the Bible. And it, this book, you know, I believe is a miracle. Forty different authors over years and years serve one united method, one united message They've worked together, divinely inspired by God. It's easy to adapt that viewpoint when you really study it out some. And we need to realize, though, that our belief system is 
as Christians, we would say is the Bible, and we bring our own filters to that. How you were raised, what part of the world, what type of church. You know, there's charismatic churches, conservative churches, liturgical churches. There's no church backgrounds. If you walk around your neighborhood, you've got people from all kinds of different backgrounds. You know, where when I grew up, I remember there was a charismatic church. I was part of a GRABC, General Association, General Association of Regular Baptists. Sounds like you're speaking in tongues, just saying G-A-R-B-C. But I went to this charismatic church that had a skateboard ministry in Youngstown, Ohio. And it was such a fun thing to be a part of. And some of the people we rode with, though, would get slain in the spirit. And I remember these kind of weird situations. Like one of the girls, like, oh, I have to use the bathroom now. I'm slain in the spirit. And they walked in and used the bathroom. And it was just kind of weird. All right? And there was... That was a real life experience for me. And you can go to different churches and there's speaking in tongues and there's, um, there's different methods of baptism. You know, many of your beliefs about God are true and biblical and God-honoring, but because we are all flawed people, not everything that you pick up along the way is true. You know, I got advice this week that wasn't true from multiple people in multiple different ways, people that I love. And it's like, man, like, God, what are you saying? And trying to discern is challenging. But we need, to be reali- we need to realize we bring our own filters into what we read. I was talking to a life group leader this week at his house about growing up in a pretty conservative setting, and I wanted to remove my membership from the church I was a part of. And this was in 10th grade. And I didn't like that our membership covenant in 10th grade said I will not participate in the sale and use of alcohol. You know, I, I was bothered by that, and I argued because I, I wanted the truth to take place. And I'm like, Jesus made water into wine. Why does our church membership covenant say that? And the problem is I was in 10th grade, and my dad was the pastor. So that went really well. <laughs> but all kidding aside, there was tension. And for seasons of my life, I thought people who have repented of their sins and followed Jesus should not drink any alcohol. And so... If I was at one of my dad's softball games in the beer leagues and there's a guy I respect, but he's drinking a beer, I didn't understand how that person could be a Christian because I had alcohol and the salvation doctrines all in the same brick in my building of faith. You know, and there's a difference between those bricks there. You know, and then I accidentally threw the baby out with the bathwater. And as a dad, that is a terrifying expression. Yeah. Yeah. But the mistake of blending our rules with God's rules is that when people break our rules or we break our own rules, we put ourselves in the place of God and pass judgment on them and try to do God's job. You know, and we need to realize these filters that we carry. And there's, there's extremes. You know, there's people that grow up not going to movies or not dancing. I don't know if that's any of you. There's people that, it's like name it and claim it. Like, if you ask in Jesus' name for me to get a car and I agree with you, we'll get a car. We can just name it and claim it. Or there's like churches where it's like you need to vote Democrat or you hate people. Or you need to vote Republican or you hate people. You know, and there's like don't date. Don't listen to secular music. There's no drums, no instruments. You know, communion every week. Pray an hour a day. Sing the doxology at the end of every service and everybody say amen. And that's church. And here's the point of all of this, is that everything you believe about God may not be true. Everything you believe about God may not be true. And I think we have a slide that that says that. 
Nope, I asked our AV friend to take it out. My bad. But write that down um, for me. Um, everything you believe about God, dash, may not be true. And here's the thing. I was having lunch with my bride today. And I'm like, man, I have a hard time with this. Like, how does everything I may believe about God maybe not be true? And she's like, everything about the ocean may not be true that you believe. You know, and the ocean doesn't care. <laughs> and that's so insightful, so quick from a bride. Like, she's way more competent than me at life <laughs> and has way more capacity than me in many different ways. But think about that. Everything about the ocean may not be true, and the ocean doesn't care. Everything we believe about God may not be true, but he loves us and pursues a love relationship with each one of us that's real and personal. And Jesus says, I have many more things to tell you, but you can't bear them right now. Jesus tells his disciples, like, there's books and books to write, but the whole world wouldn't even have room for it with all Jesus had. So these authors rightly divided the word of truth as they wrote down scripture and the stories in bite-sized bits that we could comprehend along the way. So when you discover something you believed isn't true, what do you do? Unbelieve what isn't true and pursue what is true. You know, I discovered I can get Vana in my feet really quick if I'm trying to land on my feet when I jump off a wave. So I discovered that it's not true that I jump into the ocean the same way I jump into a pool. And I have to jump in like a pancake. And I'm less likely to get Vana in my foot. All right, but in a similar way with God, when you discover something you believe isn't true, you need to unbelieve what isn't true and pursue what is true. My bride has a testimony of doubt and discovery. And this is a video she made a couple years ago when she was diagnosed with cancer. And in the middle of this Doubting God series, this is such a great fit. I hope you are encouraged by this. Hidden. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Meander in the middle with me. Not quite the dark of night, but it is hard to see. As light dawns, I stand on this side, astounded, astonished, staggering toward understanding. Still, I've spent days, weeks, months, in a barrage of telephone calls and video chats, assaulted by coordinating, confirming, constructing, consulting for a future, though my past and present are but a vapor. Direction, decisions, detours. Deeper, deeper. Hidden, medicines, a practice. Mammograms and MRIs miss things. Underlying malignancy was all that they could tell me. Hidden. Pokes, prods, pricks, draws, analysis, referrals, second opinions, questions. Why? How? What? Faith. I felt it in my gut. Trust, hazy yet clear cut. Fear, reluctance at the open door. Fright, palpable, deafening uproar. Direction, decisions, detours, 
Deeper. Deeper. The middle, where faith and fear fight for first place, where rest and wrestling wage war and race the space between dark and light, the dim district only hope can ignite, even if, even still. It's too much, too soon. My grandma died of breast cancer when I was 17. Now I'm to fight this battle at 34. God, please intervene. It's too much, too soon. My sons are only nine, seven, and four. The youngest might not even remember me. God, is this the door? Even if, even still. Strengthened, Daniel 10, 19. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Surgery, recovery, then pathology. The answer, cancer. The follow-up phone call revealed it all. From that one conversation came the revelation I was specifically diagnosed with and supernaturally delivered from breast cancer. Strengthened. I am whole. Even with these holes that I try to fill, though nothing seems to fit, I am afraid. I fear future complications, future pain, future misfittings, but my God is with me in the middle. It's dawn, not dusk. This gray will not stay. My God reminds me that his presence is in the present, strengthened. Come away and rest. Be still and know. Cast your cares and watch for him. Direction, decisions, Detours. Deeper, deeper, deeper into honesty, deeper into hope, deeper into faith, courage, and integrity. On this journey, he is not done. He is not finished. And here in the middle, we are invited to come away and rest. Be still and know. Cast our cares and watch for him, watch for him, deeper, deeper. So good. See, I believe a bunch of people are going to trust Jesus as their savior this weekend as a result of this time. The way Peter said, Lord, save me in this passage, I need to say, Lord, save me every day. And I think a lot of us are going to get to say, Lord, save me as well. I love that journey of doubt and discovery that Nicole, I don't love that journey at all, actually. But I love that she's able to share that journey of doubt and discovery in such a powerful way from that video that she made, they made a couple years ago when she was diagnosed with cancer. And just a fun little fact, uh, Josh Sutherland, our thematic director at Waipuna, who made the video at the beginning, also edited that video. And he and his bride have a real gift with that, to tell those stories in powerful ways. But I wanted to invite Nicole up to just briefly share, this past week in our life group, we talked about some specific doubts that we've all had. And I share this with permission. Someone who's been a Christian for about 30 years was wrestling 
with the purpose of prayer and intercessory prayer. You know, we had those questions on the handout, and there's a QR code today. We'd love for you to submit your doubts and your uh, biggest questions in your faith journey. And this person had some cool questions about, you know, why do we pray for missionaries if they don't hear about it anyway and God already knows what they need before anybody even asks? Why do we even pray for them? And um, do we even know that we need to? And just really legit question, a great question. And then Nicole shared briefly about prayer. So give a warm welcome to Nicole and then share that insight with us, please, about prayer. Thank you. Um, so the question or the doubt was just, is there, like, how do we know, right? How do we know? Like, how do we know or, or because we can't know, what's the point, right, of praying for people far away that might not hear our prayers? And I just, I don't know. Sometimes I just have to speak up. And I said, listen, let me tell you something about prayer. For me, in that journey of doubt and discovery, um, I asked for prayer. I asked for people to send me cards with scripture and their prayers for me because I knew that that was the most powerful thing that was going to get me through that dark, doubtful season. And I, I wanted people to pray for me. And I, I had said, knowing, just knowing that people prayed for me was the difference of back floating in Yao Valley, fresh water, or at the ocean, salt water. Because people were praying for me through my recovery, I felt like I was floating, you guys, mm. just floating on salt water. Because people were praying for me, in those quiet moments when I was alone with my doubts, wondering, questioning, a good friend of mine had said, there are going to come times when it's going to be very scary. It's going to be very lonely, and you're going to feel abandoned by everybody, by everything. And in those moments, I want you to imagine like a static AM, FM radio. I want you to imagine this radio and tune in to all the prayers of all the people that you know that are praying for you and use that as your strength. And in those moments, when I was alone, when I was feeling all the feelings and nobody could tell me nothing, I tuned in and just knowing people were praying for me made a difference. Intercessory prayer, praying for people that don't even know you're praying for them or that do, right, makes a difference makes a difference. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Nicole. That's my beautiful bride, by the way. But I tested this QR code from different places in the sanctuary. You can use your phone right now or tablet and grab that digital connect card and share with us a real question you have or a doubt you wrestle with in your faith journey or maybe a friend and their doubt and their question. And maybe we can answer that if there's time next weekend during the service. So Take advantage of that opportunity. What's the biggest question or doubt that you wrestle with in your journey? And then on your handout, there's a resource for you, a chart comparing the life of Peter and the life of Judas. And this is stuff we don't have time to go into too much. We did this, I got to share this years ago in a, a different message as well, but it's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. You know that Peter and Judas both messed up really bad and 
Peter was specifically convicted for the wrong things that he'd done. You know, he, he wept, he felt bad, he had godly grief that led him to repentance, that led him to turn back to Jesus. And instead of running away from Judas, like, or instead of running away from Jesus like Judas did, he ran to Jesus. And when he messed up, he didn't give up, he fessed up. He said, Jesus is Lord, and there was restoration. And we see Peter used in a powerful way. But that's just more for you as you journey in your faith. You know, or maybe study that with a friend, that chart between, about the difference between condemnation, which is from the devil, which is just general, it's not specific, and it's accusations, and it doesn't do anybody any help. It's just like, you're horrible, and I don't know why, but this is awful, and it's the devil's voice, versus conviction, which is from God. And these are specific things, like, oh, you have little faith, trust me with your taxes. Oh, you have little faith, trust me with those check engine lights on your car. And get it fixed <laughs> with the wisdom I give you. But there's conviction over specific things. Okay, so check that out more later. But Matthew 14, 29, look with me at that verse. Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And I love Peter's journey that we get to learn publicly, not only from his success and from his strength and from his amazing abilities to do great things, but from his failures and from those moments when he was like ugly crying and struggling with the mistakes that he made. Look with me at one of those stories, Luke 22, 31 through 34. Jesus is praying for Peter. He loves Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon. He calls his name twice. You know, and by the way, he renames Peter the rock, all right? But here he, he's saying, Simon, Simon. I'm sorry, he doesn't rename him the rock. He renames him uh, Peter, which sounds a lot like rock. Does it mean rock? Okay, it means rock. Great. But he builds the church on Peter's faith, all right? Which is the, like Jesus is the rock, who's a rock greater than Peter. Amen? Okay, but Luke 22, 31 through 34, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Right, he's real zealous. He's real passionate. He's real loud. But Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three, you deny three times that you know me. He's like, Peter, you're going to turn your back on me. Like you feel this way now and it's strong, but tomorrow you're going to deny me. All right. So discipleship was part of Peter's deconstruction and reconstruction. If you're going to write anything else down, that would be a great quote to write down. Discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. And that might be a better word than to deconstruct our faith. Like, let's go through discipleship together. Let's learn with people who love God and let's love each other and engage in this journey together. Let's get in a life group and do life together. This Tim Keller article that's listed on your handout is phenomenal about the build. He compares it to buildings that have been gutted and had the most significant deconstruction. When that reconstruction takes place, sometimes they're the most incredible buildings that there are. That's a great resource for you. But your sixth question on your life group, it says, take some time to talk about beliefs you've questioned in the past or are currently questioning. How do you identify what's true and what's untrue? And finally, as you journey with Jesus this week, how do you interpret the Bible for you personally? 
You know, do you interpret this as something that's confusing? Do you interpret it with doubting? I, I want to encourage you, focus on Jesus as you read the Bible. Look at everything through the lens of Jesus' character, Jesus' love. Start in John, see the one love of Jesus, and see his power right off the bat. As Christians, our goal isn't to be right. Our goal is to be loving. You're considering leaving your faith. Or do you know someone who is? In many ways, Peter did too. You know, he doubted. He messed up in significant ways. He denied Jesus three times. But I love John 21, this last chapter in the book of John, where Jesus cooks breakfast for Peter. And after Peter's doubt, after Peter denied him three times, Jesus came to Peter. That same approach. Jesus came to him and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. And Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times and reinstates him and deconstructs his old and worn out ideas, gets the, the cement out of there that needs to come out and helps reconstruct something amazing in Peter. Because who did God choose to preach Pentecost the day 3,000 people get saved? It's a question. Peter, whose faith was rebuilt, built after his doubt? Peter, Doubt isn't the enemy of faith. Doubt is often an invitation to a growing faith. I want to invite the worship team. You guys can come up and start playing. And about 30 years after being forgiven, um, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.25, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, Peter knew firsthand the love, the grace, the mercy of Jesus that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the conquering king. He's also the suffering servant who laid down his life. You know, those in the boat, they're stopping relying on their own understanding. You know, they started relying on the person of Jesus. They started worshiping Jesus. Look at verse 33. And this is the best part, that after we go through discipleship and there's something built that's solid and sturdy in our lives, Matthew 14, 33, those in the boat worshiped who? Jesus. Those in the boat worshiped him, Jesus, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Peter said, Lord, save me. He was spot on. You know, that's the bedrock, the foundation, the cornerstone that we need to build our lives on, to ask Jesus to be our savior, that we can't do this on our own. We need the grace, the love, the mercy of Jesus to be our foundation, our solid rock. Is that you? The invitation now, you can bow your heads, close your eyes. We'll make it three parts, salvation, baptism, or specific obedience. If anybody's here who's not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you know that that's a part of your life that you just don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that you don't believe he died on the cross, and rose again for your sins, but now you want to believe that, and you're starting to believe that for the first time, so that me and the leaders here at Waipuna who pray, so we can pray for you. Would you raise your hand if that's you, if you want to trust Jesus as your Savior? Would you just raise your hand high if you want to trust in Jesus as your Savior? And I invite the leaders to look around and see. Keep that hand up for another minute. Just, yeah, that's awesome, all right? And we can... Uh, Keep our heads bowed. Keep that, you can put your hands down if you want to be baptized. If you've never followed 
in, in obedience through believer's baptism. Because that's what we do. We believe after you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then it's an act of obedience to like wear the wedding ring, that symbol of that inward commitment of what's happened as you've like married God and trusted Jesus. If you've never been baptized and want to be baptized, would you raise your hand? You don't even have to do it on the first Sunday in May, but we'd love for you to. But if you've never been baptized and want to be baptized, would you raise your hand in obedience to Jesus? Okay, and last, the invitation. If there's a specific way God's calling you to obey him, maybe it's letting go of some kind of worn idea that's not working, that's not strengthening your love for God and your love for people, and there's a specific way that you're called to obey God, would you raise your hand so that we can pray for you? Awesome. Anybody else? Hand up. Just seal it. Solid obedience to Jesus. There's a specific way. Something you need to let go of. Something you need to do. A step of faith. Awesome. Cool. You can bow your heads and pray with me, everybody. And uh, God, I thank you so much for your love for each one of us, Lord. Thank you for the example of Peter, for his life, for his failures. Thank you that when we mess up, we don't have to give up. We just need to fess up. We just need to be honest and admit that we need you to save us. So I pray for the person that had their hand up that we saw tonight, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation, God. And for the obedience with baptism, Lord, that we'd follow through with that, that it would be the first Sunday in May, that we'd get to celebrate that. And the uh, obedience, all of us, Lord, have ways that we need to say, Lord, save me. Because I'll self-sabotage really quick, and I need a Savior. So I pray that each of us, that you'd sustain us and give us your grace to walk in obedience. To you be all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And one note just before we sing and worship. If you did make a decision tonight, would you fill out a Connect card? You can use the QR code on the back of the seat in front of you or do a digital Connect card. Put it in the offering box. Bring it to one of us. And we would love to pray with you and pray for you and journey with you in a growing relationship with Jesus.